Thank you, Jonathan, and thank you all for being here today. This is uh, our first time in a couple of years to come together and to focus on uh, not only what we do here, but what we do around the world. And uh, so I'm just, I'm thrilled. Uh, I know in our venue, we had uh, three wonderful presentations. They were all different and uh, just excited me to hear not only what they are doing, what God's doing through them, but just to know that, that heritage is connected. We're plugged in to what is happening around the world. And uh, we just got a taste because in three other venues than ours, we had other people sharing their own ministries. And so it was just a taste today. And speaking of, what we would like you to do is at the conclusion of our service, uh, speaking of taste, we do have some cookies available. And I know at least one of the booths uh, has some cookies and put ours to shame. I, I just hate to say it, but be sure and, and, and go and, and meet with some of these folks. If you haven't already, get to know them, ask them about their ministries. Maybe the, the Spirit of God has quickened you to, to, to ask questions and to be involved with them, either to just literally be with them or to give or to pray, uh, but you can do that. Now, what I'd like to do right now is to have all of those who have come to share and you shared this morning, uh, I'd like you guys to stand and uh, we can recognize you. Stand and remain standing for just a moment. Danny, yeah, thank you. John and Elle, where are everybody else uh, that are here today? And we're so grateful that uh, you have come to be a part of us. Amen. Amen. And as I pray, I want to pray for you and for your, uh, for your ministries. And then I've been given the delightful task of sharing my own story. We had Mike Johnson coming. And first of the week, we heard that he had COVID. He said, well, I don't know. Well, let, let me see how I feel the middle of the week. And the middle of the week got here. And he said, uh, first time I've ever canceled. Uh, he, he is... Uh, He's 76 years old, and first time the Johnsons have had to cancel anything, but he said, I just can't come. And so I, I sensed that this was a good time for me to share my story, being involved in God's global heart, and how heritage has kind of become connected. So I hope all of you, including the ones who are with us to share about your ministries, will be encouraged and blessed and instructed by this time today. Father, I thank you. Praise you that you give us the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ right here in this book, right here in this word. Father, as Jim said a minute ago, and we'll look at that verse in just a that passage in just a few moments, but you have commissioned us. You've told us to go. And uh, Lord, that is for each of us here in this room today, maybe in ways that we haven't really thought about, but I pray that you would show us that today. And Thank you for these who um, are, um, Lord, they're, they're in the trenches for us and with us and we with them. And so whether it be a, a, a foreign type, a, a frontier type of ministry, church planting, or it's a domestic type of ministering, growing the church, discipling new believers and penetrating 
uh, their, their area with the gospel. I pray that you would anoint each of these ministries represented here today. And so thank you for that, and thank you that we can share in these moments together today. We pray that you would bless it, use it for your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. At the end of his life, literally, Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy was in a hard place in Ephesus, a church that had a lot going for it, but we know because we read the end of the book that there came a point in time that that church left its first love. And so Paul was doing all he could in, in the two letters, uh, First and Second Timothy, all that he could writing to Timothy to, uh, to make sure the church was doing what it needed to do. So we've been studying that in the first chapter of First Timothy, and for today I want to jump to Second Timothy and for us to see what Paul said to, uh, to young Timothy and to the entire church, and I think these are words that we need to hear today, uh, we need to hear them every day. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, sounds like the gospel to me, the offspring of David, the King, the Messiah, in other words, as preached in my gospel, the gospel that was once for all delivered to the saints, for which, now remember that Paul was in chains, and I love this passage of Scripture, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But he said, Timothy, I want you to relate something to the church they need to remember. The Word of God equated now with the gospel, my gospel, look at it, the two are synonymous the gospel or the word of God is not bound. Now, the most important word in this passage is remember. Because there, there are things that, that cause us to forget. There are things that cause us to have, in a sense, spiritual amnesia. With all of the wonderful testimonies that we heard Right, right here in this room, and that you heard in whatever venue. By the way, I hope that you were in ABF this morning. I hope you're plugged into ABF, our adult Bible fellowship, or into the, the, the student ministry. I hope that you come at 9 o'clock. And if you didn't, I will say this, you missed something special today. But then again, I kind of think you miss something special every Sunday by not being a part of that. So we heard today, we heard wonderful testimonies of the Great Commission being fulfilled. But guess what? In our day, the Great Commission is still not fulfilled. And Paul says to remember, remember the gospel. Remember that the gospel is powerful. Remember that the gospel is the good news of the risen king. And I think it's significant, if, if you've got your Bible open to that passage of Scripture, that if you back up to verse 3, he says something very significant. Now, again, writing to Timothy and writing to the church at Ephesus, he says this, join with me. Now, my whole thing today is to try to get into your heart something that, again, I think that in some ways we've forgotten in terms of the gospel when and it's this, when ordinary people 
And ordinary churches understand God's plan for the church in the world, they are halfway to getting to the point of unleashing the gospel. See, the gospel is not bound. We already said that. But the church is because we've gotten the wrong idea about this whole thing called missions. And every one of the people who spoke to you today would see himself or herself as a very ordinary person. Is that true, Todd? Is that true? I look around and see the rest of you. You would see yourself as just a very ordinary person, and probably you came out of an ordinary church, but you've learned something. You've not only understood that if you're an ordinary person, and by the way, that's all of us in here, I'm an ordinary pastor, and we are an ordinary church, but guess what? That is exactly the kind of person, that is exactly the kind of church that God really delights to use. And so understanding it is only half of it. Now, I hope that by the end of this sermon today, you understand a little bit better. There'll be some things that maybe you haven't heard. If you've been here for a while, you've heard them, and I hope you haven't really totally forgotten them. Understanding is only half of it. The other part is that when you not only understand, but you move to investing. Investing as a believer, an ordinary believer in an ordinary church, your time, your talents, your treasure, and the truth of God's Word into His global plan. And Heritage, if we can do that, we're going to see the gospel unleashed from this place. That's not triumphalism. That is absolute truth. The word, the gospel, is not bound. The church is bound. And if we understand and invest, we can become what God created us to be. I'm going to, I'm going to mention this later, but here's a thought for you. I just want you to kind of take it in and, and, and sit on it. Let, it. let it soak. Let it saturate. Uh, that missions is not just something that special people do. I just mentioned to you, and every one of you, Danny, you would say this, every one of you would say this, you, you, there's nothing special about you. Now, I'm going to tell you this, that in the church, we, we think there is. There's something special. Now, I'm going to say another word that a lot of times the church thinks about missionaries, weird all right? Okay? Yeah, you wear that, don't you? A special or weird? You know, who in the world would get up from a comfortable church in a comfortable place where, you know, the, the thermostats are set? And that who would put themselves in harm's way? John Mann, you shared with us today about people who are doing that right now. Who would do that? Well, special people or weird people, but certainly not me because I'm just an ordinary Christian. So I'm going to give you a thought to challenge you not just to give our money and not just to pray, and not just for some of you to go, but ask yourself this question, because I started asking this about 23 years ago, and I started asking, well, maybe not that long, maybe 21, 22 years ago, what would happen if the church became the missionary? 
hold that thought. We're going to get to it in a minute. I'm, I'm not putting down the different organizations that are represented here and represented globally and domestically. I'm not putting them down. But what would happen if the local church, every local church, and ours in particular, all of a sudden began to ask the question, what if we, we church, became the missionaries? But there's a problem with that. Look at the first thing on your outline. Okay? What if the church became the missionary? Oh, pastor, I hear you, and that's all really great and good, and we've got these special people with us, the special ones, the weird ones that they go, and they do all of these kinds of things. But, pastor, we just want you to know you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Oh, come on. I thought I would get at least one amen to that. (laughs) Pastor, we hear you, but, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. We have a certain way of doing it, so you can't teach old dogs new trick. Well, let me let you in on a little something in case you haven't really understood what the Scripture says. You are not an old dog. You are a new creation in Christ. Those old things have been stripped away and the new has come. So don't ever let me hear any of you say, Preacher, I'm just an old dog. That's a new trick, what you're talking about. I I get it, I get it, but we won't go there. If we see this not just as something we do, but something we are, then we're going to start getting at that thing of what would happen if the church became the missionary. Let's move on. Why do we do missions? Why do we do evangelism? Why do we meet with people and seek to see them delivered from bondage and all of the rest of that? Why do we do that? Why do you do that? Well, because Jesus loves people, and we love people, right? Amen? I'll let you in on another thing that I didn't realize before I started doing overseas mission trips. And that is love, love for people is a wonderful motivation, okay? Love for people is a wonderful motivation. For God so loved the world that he sent, and so we send too. And so sometimes we say, well, it's easy. The answer to why do we do evangelism and missions, it's because God loves his lost sheep and he wants to save them. That's true, but it's incomplete. Now, please hear this, and you've heard me say this before. You're going to find that a great many truths that we see in the Bible or that we believe here in this church, they're not untrue, they're just incomplete. And love for people is a great motivation. In fact, I, I, when I went on my first overseas mission trip, and it was, it, it was different, and it was exotic, and I know for those of you who've been on an overseas mission trip to a, a foreign, I mean a totally foreign culture, you come back, and you're all excited, and you, the first thing you talk about is what? Well, maybe not the people. Uh, that's what you expect, but you talk about the food. And how different the food was. Oh, we ate, we ate guinea pig or we ate 
we really did, you know. We, we ate our pets, I, you know, those kinds of things. Or the next thing you talk, really, the next thing you talk about is the bathroom facilities. I'm serious. I hear this. Oh, tell me about your, this is overseas, this is cross-cultural. People come back and, oh, the food, and it was different, and I liked it, kind of, died. well, I didn't like that, but, boy, the bathrooms were really different, and all the rest of that, well, but, but beyond that, what, what was the thing that you came away with? I fell in love with the people. Yeah, okay. Guess what? And for those of you who do cross-cultural missions, you mark my word, there will come a day, if you go over enough, when that love for those people, you're going to discover that people over there are a whole lot like people here. And let me just ask you a question. Do people here ever annoy you? Come on. Well, if people over here annoy you and you live with them, then people over there eventually are going to start to annoy you. Their habits, why do they believe the things they do? Why do they, the smells, everything, and people will begin to annoy you. And here's my point in this, and this is so huge for why we do as a church what we do and why these folks who came to see us today, why they do what they do. When love for people fails you, love for the glory of God will keep you going back. And that's worth writing down. And you guys that do it, you know that it's true. Sometimes you you get so tired, not of the work, but in the work. And it's back-breaking, and it's, 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 you're, I said it a minute ago, you're in the trenches, and, and you're hammering it out, and people can begin to annoy you. But if you understand this, that the, the missionaries who are with us today, they get it. They understand this. And I'm talking about frontier, cross-culture. I'm talking about local. Okay? Love for the glory of God will keep you going. In fact, l- let me just share this. Parentheses from what we've been talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is the principle that will keep you in your marriage and keep you loving your kids when they're just absolutely, completely unlovable and keep you loving your parents when they disappoint you. It, all the rest, of, it's all about the glory of God, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, it's all about the glory of God. And there is no missional concept that is more important than this. We're trying to understand why we ask the question, what would happen if the church became the missionary. Well, that's the next question on your outline. So let's look at it. What if the church became the missionary? Now, for some of you, this is not a new thought. But for some of you, it is. Let's go back. Jim quoted this for us at the very beginning when he prayed. He said everything, boom, boom, boom. He stole all of my points for this, but that's okay. I'll reiterate what he said. Jesus said, I've got all authority. That's a twofold, two-edged sword there. You can trust on me. You can count on me. I've got all authority, but also I've got all authority. Therefore, I'm, and I love the word that you use, Jim, commission. I like, the, I like the military feel of that. We are soldiers. 
I'm looking at the members of the church. I'm not looking just at the missionaries. We're soldiers. And when you became a, a follower of Christ, you stepped into the army and you received a commission that lasts until you breathe your last breath. You may retire from your work to do another kind of work or the Lord release you from this to do that, but until your dying day, we have a commission to disciple the nations. Now, what may surprise some of you, I say this tongue-in-cheek, I'll ask the question, then I'll give my own answer. To whom was the Great Commission given? Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Time out, Pastor. There were 12 of them there. Yeah, you're right. And then the, the, Acts 1-8, it, it, it's also to the 120. Jim said this. And I, I'm just going to tell you something, though. It may surprise some of you, but the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention was not present when the Great Commission was given. Neither was HIA, uh, neither was uh, any of the other mission organizations that we support. It was given to those disciples who would go out and they would plant the church. In other words, the Great Commission was given to the church of Jesus Christ. So here is, this is for heritage, but it's also for every one of us, those people that are visiting with us today. And if, you, if you've come in and you're from another church, you need to go back and talk to whomever about, about this. What if uh, we, our church... And this, this is always what you hear, and it sounds really good. Rather than being a local church with a global vision, sounds pretty good, doesn't it? What if we begin to see ourselves as a global church with a local base of operations? Global, local, global. Really? Wow, that, that might just take us a few more steps in the direction of asking the question and answering it, what would happen if the church became the missionary? Now, one thing we're saying, it would not negate the ministries that we support. And we've sent out people to do these things. It would not negate these ministries at all. Again, it, it, it's... It's not a, an either-or, it's a both-and. And for all the good we do in sending people, in sending money and supporting and all the rest of that, church, we are incomplete if we don't see ourselves as the missionary. And that's how the first century church was able, to, and, and its critics said they've turned the world upside down. It was because they, each church saw itself as global. Oh, we, we've got to train our people and then send out people. And then when they plant churches, then we've got to help them to train up their people. That's domestic ministries. So that, guess what? They can send out people on frontier ministries. And then it just keeps going, keeps going until the world is filled, 
The earth is filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. And so, 23 years ago, I started asking that question. It came rather innocently that I would ask that question, what if the church took the primary responsibility for fulfilling the great commissions when I was invited on my first missionary trip? Now, get the picture of this. And some of you have heard this. For some of you, it's new information. But it's my story, okay? And all the other missionaries were telling their story. So I just want to tell my story and how we got involved there where I was in Little Rock. And now what I've tried to do in bringing that here and and being helped with so many people that, that are here and who get it. But I was 50 years old. And I'd never been on an overseas mission trip. And I've shared this before. I, I, was, I was raised in a Baptist church. I went to a Southern Baptist seminary. And, and Southern Baptists pride themselves in being the most missional group on the face of the earth. So how does a 50-year-old pastor get all the way through the pastorate and he's never gone on an overseas missionary trip? Well, that's where I was. And the church that I served in Little Rock, was they were at the same place. The church was 50 years old. They had never sent anybody on an overseas mission trip. And so I get an invitation from a guy who was in another local church, and he said, hey, we're, we're going to be taking, you're the fourth church, and we're, four churches are going to go down, send representatives, and we're going to see what it would look like to partner. There, there's a, a, a foreign missionary in Peru And he's identified some unreached people groups. And so what we're going to do is see what it would look like for us to form a partnership to go down and to work with and to reach that people group. And you know how I responded. Deer in the headlights. I had no idea what he was talking about other than we're going to Peru. So we did. And we went to Peru and we went way up and over mountains and over rivers and went to a group of people called the Aguarunas. And we thought about, okay, what will this look like? And I came back and I, I really got excited about that. And for the first time I thought, wow, what if our little church, and it was smaller than this church, not, not as many resources financially as this church, what, what would it look like for that partnership to happen? It never happened. Now, if you, if you commit yourself to doing th- this work of, of, of reaching the lost, it, there, there are, it's like three steps forward, two steps back, and sometimes things don't happen. And so the, the partnership never happened, okay? So I, I emailed the missionary, Mike Weaver, and I said, Mike, we are an uh, ordinary Ordinary church, we run about 250. Are we, are we big enough to do this? And he emails me back, Marty, how big does your church have to be to obey the Great Commission? <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, well, what does this look like? He said, come on down for a trip. So we did a second vision trip. That's that's the, oh, which slide is it? It's the top left slide. Three of us went. 
I'm going to show some pictures now. Missionaries always like to show pictures. But th- this is really the, the story. So we go down. I have no idea what we're doing except for the missionary takes us there. By the way, he takes us around to meet this people. They were called the Karongo Quechua people in Ancash, the department of Ancash in the, the Andes Mountains. And that's the only time that the missionary was ever with us. He said, we'll train, we'll support, we'll help you. And they, they did. But he said, what we want you to do is put together a plan to identify, adopt, engage, and reach this unreached people group. And we said, that seems to be what the Great Commission says, so okay, we'll do it. And I, the, the only reason I show you this is because we were a small church that couldn't, we did not have the resources to do it. But every time we went, there was always a translator. It's, that's been the way it is on every trip that we've ever taken, even if we didn't plan on one. Many times you do. All of the finances were there. Every time we needed something, it was there. Now, folks, that's not the only place to go. I'm not saying that. It's just what, what God was doing with that little church and the, the, the northwest part of, of Little Rock, Arkansas. And so we went, and then we went back, and we developed a plan. And, and we, we started working that plan. What we'd do is go in, and we would do prayer walking, okay? We would walk in the villages and the towns and all the rest. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to show you this. This was our, after the vision trip, this was our first trip in without the missionary. And... Uh, the reason I wanted to show you this is just, it's kind of neat what God does. That really young looking and darker head looking guy on, on the, that, that side, that's me, okay, in case you didn't recognize me. A lot younger. And uh, out of those, those uh, six people that went, four went into missions. Two of them are no longer in missions, but two of them are working for organizations, seeing the gospel go. So, do I believe in short-term mission trips? By the way, this kind of thing is just, it happens on the mission field all the time. And you know what you do? You just keep preaching. And we love it. We, we always loved it because it, missions is messy. And, and, and it's just, it, it, those things happen, and God does a work. And so I just wanted to show you that because, and here's what we did. We would prayer walk. Now, this was, this was rural. This was remote. And I kind of like that, you know. I, I kind of like getting off the beaten path and all that, driving the four-wheel drives and then getting out and walking and praying. And so here, here's what we'd do. One trip was entirely praying. We would walk in the villages, and we would say, People would look at us because we were obviously out of place. What are you doing here? Well, we've come from 3,000 miles away so that we could be a blessing to you and your family. We would like to pray for you and your family. How can we pray for you? The people would say, oh. And we had a translator. And, and so they would say, they would get us by the hand and they would take us to a place where we could pray for maybe a family member that was sick or, or whatever. And the needs were just incredible and we would pray. And, and so we did that and then we left. The next trip, we were coming back to identify and train leaders. Guess what? The first thing that they said the next trip when we came in. Anybody? You came back 
Now, it's not the only way to do missions. Shotgunning is good. We'll get to that in just a second. But the rifle shot is you identify an unreached people group, you go after them, you, you win the lost, you identify leaders, you train the leaders, you plant churches, and they do the same. It, it just that seems to be how Paul did it in the New Testament. This was a family that we met, and the entire family came to faith in Christ. We thought, oh, a house church, it fell through. Three steps forward, two steps back. But later on, as we continued that work, you remember all the groups that we sent? We sent like teens, and we sent other kinds of groups to go down there. And this was a, one of the things I love about this is that I wasn't on every trip. I didn't have to be the preacher. God uses ordinary people. This guy became our youth pastor, the guy in the red shirt. He led this group down there. We had identified this guy named Martin. And so he was baptized, and that was the first church plant that we had. Just ordinary people, ordinary church, doing ordinary things. And then I really got messed up. I took a course called Perspectives on the world Christian movement. You know, you have thoughts about that one way or the other. But one thing I learned about that, and I don't know, and just about almost literally, it was right before I took the course, you see that square, that rectangle? It's called the 1040 window. I had no idea what the 1040 window was. But it represents the, the, the countries in the red, the least reached area on the face of the earth. Oh, that's a big area, so what do I do? One of the guys I was taking perspectives with, he was a missionary, he'd done this kind of stuff. He said, well, why don't you start praying for an unreached people group? And I said, okay, which one? Get the book Operation Worldview, and I started praying. He said, this is funny. He said, why don't you pray for the Bengali Muslims of northern Bangladesh? I had to look it up on a map. And I started praying for him. And then God, through his providence, brought me here to Heritage. And I brought with me that vision. But the first Sunday, or maybe it was the second Sunday, you guys help me out, refresh my memory, Aaron McWilliams was being commissioned with Ben, yeah, to go to Dagestan. You know where Dagestan is? It's in Russia. It's a hard place, and so we kind of changed gears, and we thought, well, maybe God wants us to go to Dagestan. No, we couldn't get into Dagestan, so there were a couple of us who said, okay, let's explore this. Now, again, this is, this is our story, just a little bit of, and we do all these other things, but when I came to Heritage, we had a lot of good things happening, but it was kind of a shotgun. That's good but it's incomplete. What about a rifle shot? What about if we could identify a particular unreached people group and partner with indigenous workers to reach that people group? And so we started praying and we went to a conference that same year that I came to Heritage. I think it was in, boy, this is a blast from the past. Chip, you remember the CA 101 conference? You and I roomed together. Jeff Campbell, he's moved. Again, that dark-headed guy, who is that? That's me. Chip, Chip, your hair was darker then. And that's over on the far right, that's Chad Puckett when he had hair. That's Zane Pratt. 
Zane is back in the U.S., but Zane was the leader of the Central Asia area. And we talked with him. And we basically had the conversation with him with a guy named John Morgan. We went to another conference after that. The, 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 we specified, they said, because basically here's what we told them. Don't give us what's easy. Give us the hill country. I literally said those words. Give us something where we can go and make a difference. And so they said, we, we've got a place. We've got this new upstart church um, in a place called uh, Samsun, Turkey. Now, this is Turkey. See how unreached they are? 72, back then, 72 million people, about 3,000 known believers. And there was a church right up here in Samsun. That area from the border of Istanbul to the border of Georgia, 7.2 million people, about 100 known believers. And they said, would you work with Pastor Orhan at Agape Church? And so we went. Uh, we, we went on a vision trip to Istanbul. They showed us around. This was the second trip, the first trip actually into the area. Do you recognize anybody in that picture? Are, are those three guys with us? Rocky, where are you? Okay. That's Rocky Hales on the left. Boy, doesn't Sean look like him? Okay. The guy that's sitting down there, that's Greg Ryder. Looks like one of his boys, you know. Really, really. And then there's Chad Puckett again with hair. And then that's Farshid and, and his wife Faraday, Amin, in the middle there in the white shirt. And we met them. Do you know they're in the United States and they've done ministry? And, and, and all. It's, it's just amazing how God works. This is one of our early trips in. Jan and I met. That was the church. That was the church. About 30 people, maybe when people from outlying areas came in. And you, you, not all of you saw the video today, but it's just amazing. And so what, what did we do there? We prayer walked, we met people. And uh, this is a group being ready, several of them being ready to be baptized. They baptized, they were right near, near the, the Black Sea. So they baptized in swimming pools, inflatables, everywhere they could, bathtubs. And in the Black Sea, there was always a police presence there, ostensibly for protection, but also to kind of record who's coming in. That's Aydin's head, back, by the way, one of a Turkish guy that's gone on to be with the Lord now. Now, this is, this is significant, but prayer walking became prayer, prayer drinking. We found out that in Asia, people love to sit down and have chai and talk. That's the way it is in much of the world. And one time, one of them said, you Americans need to slow down, drink some chai, and visit. And, and so that, that was prayer walk. We would meet people, and we would identify. And there was that one church that they got booted out and kicked out all over the place. And several years ago, the government said you can build a building, and that building is paid for. That's the Agape Church in Samsun. And that's a little bit of it. That, that's only a part of it that goes back. I don't have all the, the churches here, but in that time, since the beginning of going and prayer walking and helping them, and we translated information and all the rest of that, 
and through giving and through praying, and by the way, many of you gave really generously. They're right down there in Gaziantep doing, doing work among the, the, the survivors of the, uh, the earthquake. That's the Iraqi Samsung Church. That's the Russian-speaking Samsu Church. Now, the Farsi speakers are in with the Turkish speakers, okay? So they're not singled out. The Amasya City Church, and we went there many, many times. Finally, there's a church there. This is the Chorum. Orhan has trained up a young man. Please pray for, for him. His name is Tansel. And he was just commissioned to go down and pastor this church. It's exploded. This was one of the hardest places. And, and it's, you know, they're doing great work. This is the Chorum Iraqi Church. The reason is because they speak Arabic, and, and so that's why they, they do that. Here's the Ordu City Church. We've been there many times, prayed, and worked with them. The Sinope City. Well, you get the, the idea. What would happen if the church, and by the way, we use our relationships with the International Mission Board and other missionaries, but we've been there many trips when there were no missionaries you don't have to have that as long as you have the calling to go and you know that God, because Jesus has all authority, he's going to meet every need that you have. Well, right now they're involved heavily in refugee work. We have given money. That's the earthquake. That's, that's some pictures. They're identified in the yellow vests. They're doing a great work. We have sent a, a bunch of money to them so they can do that work. But the refugees are coming their way. Now, this is the last uh, shot that I wanted to show you. This is a fairly recent picture. The young man, some of you were in here, and you heard that story about Anul, spelled A-N-I-L, Anul. That's him, the third over from the left, and he is the pastor of the Iraqi Samsung Church. And so God just continues to work, and if, if you weren't here earlier, uh, they've had about 200 baptisms in 20. 22, and you think, wow, I wish we had that. We did have that. And the baptisms that some of you shared about, John, that you shared about, that we do have a part in that because we are going and sending, we are giving, and we are praying. With all of, all of these ministries, and this is what God has done. Ordinary people, ordinary churches, what would happen if the church became the missionary? Sending out, supporting, praying, giving, heritage. We have done that in the days ahead. I pray that we would do it more. The gospel message, Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried, He was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the Scriptures. If you're here today and you've never repented of your sins, never trusted in Jesus Christ, today would be a great day in which to do that. But for the rest of us, let's hear the gospel message. Let's be gospeled people. Let's be a gospeled church serving and working with gospeled missionaries and ministry leaders. Father, I thank you for helping us to understand just a little bit more. I pray that that's happened today of your heart to see the church be the missionary, or I pray Heritage would get it. We've heard the message. We can't turn our back on it. So help us each one as an individual commit to either 
go or be sent or to give. All of us can do that. Some of us can go. But Lord, all of us also can pray. So thank you for the ones who came and shared today. I pray now as we dismiss and go into the commons and eat cookies and talk to missionaries that you would bless our visiting with them. Bless them as they continue the work to which you've called them. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.